contemporary age. We are surrounded by stuff that talks about liberty in the past as something to fight for, as something to codify. But we ask ourselves, what does it mean to actually have it and keep it going? So it's kind of a process of that kind of thing. Uh, we just opened a new exhibition downstairs called Truth, which deals with the you know simple everyday notion of how do we decide what is true or not? What do we believe? You know, very mild stuff. Um, and in conjunction with that, we can get this program, Night of Alignment, because Halloween is right around the corner, and what we're looking at tonight is how the things that we are afraid of can show us greater truths about ourselves, and what does it mean to believe certain things when it comes to ghosts or monsters or whatever. Uh, and with that, I'm just glad to be up here, we've got other stuff going on throughout the evening, but I'm very excited to have Kathy Kelly here. She runs the uh, Paranormal Books and Curiosities and the Paranormal Museum in Asbury Park. Asbury Park is a very lovely place. The store is a very lovely place. And she has background in history. And as you have already heard, no longer appears in it. So let's hear from her. <laughs> Thank you, guys. So I didn't, I, 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 I'm not going to say that I don't feel like fear of history. You know, um, there are certainly fearful things in history. You know, I don't fear spirits or, or the paranormal. Um, and since, you know, we can keep this pretty, you know, pretty uh, casual, uh, but I, I do want to talk to you about um, uh, about the nature of hauntings, about the nature of, of, of the paranormal. Um, I think it's a really good point uh, that was made just, just in, in the opening statement that what we fear tells us a lot about, not just ourselves, but tells us a lot about what um, we collectively, as a culture and a society, want to remember and what we want to forget, right? So when we look back at historically uh, haunted places or when we look at ghost stories that are prevalent within our either our larger community or um, within our individual towns and things like that, usually they're associated with, um, with I would say, a moment of trauma or a moment of shame. Right? And so those stories are a gateway into us being able to talk about what happened that led to the ghost story. A lot of times when you talk about ghost stories, you're not really talking about the ghosts at all. Right? That's literally just the little button that we press to open up the door to talk about the history that led to the ghost story. Right? And so we have these stories that are illuminating things that happened historically or things that happened socially or culturally that we may not be comfortable discussing straight up. So we use these as kind of examples of things that, that are tender spots in our history that we're not really comfortable talking about. That being said, we're actually going to talk about some ghosts, right? Not just, go on in, sit down. Ah, David Bumpkin. Yes. I like how you not only have the suit but you have the drink. It came up on the elevator. I love it. Rocking it out. Have a seat. So you didn't really miss anything. I was just doing a little bit of a spiel um, about what the nature of, of ghost stories are, or, or why some why we talk about ghosts, and and, um, and and you know, there's that way of looking at ghost stories where we look at them. First of all, I take umbrage at the term the lion's head. Okay, as a paranormal person. I don't believe they're necessarily <laughs> That being said, um, there is, culturally speaking and socially speaking, there are things that ghost stories do and conversations that they allow us to have that we might not be comfortable 
talking about the you were talking about the movie about the haunted doll, yeah. right? So how many of you guys would love to have a haunted doll in your house? Not that no. Not How many of you guys would be super uncomfortable if I told you there was a haunted doll in this box? You'd be very uncomfortable. Okay. Oh my God! Why is that over there? There's a haunted doll in this box. Her name is Claudia, and we'll take her out in a, in a few minutes. Um, we have to keep this pretty casual, and, and we can go in the directions that you guys want to go to. But I did want to talk about, um, I get really, really popular starting the first week of September. And then less, then my, my dance card opens up around November 1st, right? <laughs> right after Halloween, I'm super, super popular. And it's because around Halloween, everybody starts thinking of hauntings and ghost stories and different things like that because it's fun, but also because we're trained to, right? And Halloween has become more of a season than a day. Um, thank you very much. Did you just unplug it? I think I'm going to Oh, you do! She has outed herself, her pumpkin self, her Jack Leonard self. Um, so, so we, I get very popular, and, and Halloween is um, based on, uh, when you hear people talk about the history of Halloween, they'll say oh, it's been around for, that, for 2,000 years. And the reason that they say 2,000 years is because that was when the Romans, oh, that's right, I figured out. That was when he did some, I'm just going to come back here and bang, I'm going to say it off. I think it probably just runs out of, yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. Um, we'll hit that in a second. Is that yours or someone else's computer? This is this computer here. That's right. When we get to it, I'll bang it back. back. So, yeah, he did something in the back magical. Um, but it's based on a holiday or a, a festival that took place in uh, Celtic countries called Samhain, right? And Samhain literally means summer's end. And what it is, is it was a time when the earth was dying. Right, the harvest was done, the days were getting shorter, the nights were getting longer, it's getting colder. The world was scarier. It just was. It was darker earlier. There's a lot of stuff out there that probably was going to come for you. And you didn't have kind of the warm nights where you could hang out with each other collectively and protect each other. So it was, you knew the, the winter was coming, and winter was a difficult time. It was not only a difficult time because of food and things like that, it was a difficult time because you were separate, it was dark. You didn't have lights, you didn't have iPads. You, you were gonna stay in a small space for six months out of the year, five months out of the year, and you had good cause to be afraid. And so we say that Halloween's been around for about 2,000 years, but that's only because the Romans were in Great Britain, or what would become Great Britain at the same time. So the stories of Samhain became prevalent in, uh, in kind of the Western discussion when the Romans went in. And the Romans actually celebrated something called Feralia right around the same time. And Feralia was, was a festival of the dead, and it lasted for 11 days. And it was a time when they were, where they were supposed to commemorate and remember their dead, remember their ancestors. So you have the Romans going into uh, Celtic regions, um, and they're, they're kind of like, we kind of understand this. This makes a little bit of sense, right? 
So you have that connecting with what the Celts are doing, but the Celts are probably doing it for 3,000 years prior to that, right? So you have this, and, and what they believed was, and this is something I want you guys to remember, what they believed, you've heard the veilest thing, right? The veilest thing is in October. And what they're talking about is, we always talk about it as this world and the next. But the Celts didn't think of it as the next world, because we came from it as well. So it was the world before, it was the world after, it was the mirror world, right? The other world, not the next world. And so what was happening was as the earth was dying, that world was becoming closer and closer to our own. And instead of thinking of it as a veil between two worlds, it was more like a door. And when you open a door, you can walk in this way, but something can walk out that way as well. So not only did you have to be concerned with spirits and entities and non-human entities, beings, coming from this other world into ours, you also have to be afraid that you might accidentally slip in to that other world and be lost forever. So what they did was they went out to these plains, and there was the biggest one was in Tara in Ireland, and they went up on top of these, the, they built big hills, um, if there wasn't one in existence, they literally did the earth moving, and they built these huge bonfires. And they would wear animal clothing, uh, animal heads on uh, over themselves to scare the bejesus out of the spirits that might be coming. And say, in other words, essentially say, you're not getting us, you're not going to take us. And they'd have these huge, huge festivals. It wasn't a frightening thing for them. It was a natural thing for them. This, this wasn't supernatural. Right? What was happening wasn't supernatural. It was just part of the cycle of life. And part of the cycle of life was also to protect us from these aberrant things that were coming through. Now, you come to the United States. The United States celebrates Halloween much more, uh, much more powerfully. I'm going to say stupid, much more strongly, bigly, um, than pretty much anyone else um, in the world, although they're catching up. But we do it in a different way. And part of the reason is, is that when People emigrated to the United States and would take these little cultural things and and when you found someone who had a like that was like yours, right? A commonality, you dug in with it, right? Now in Ireland, there were no sexy mice running around, you know, no one was shooting tequila. Um, they might be now, probably Sambuca. The last time I was there, they were really into Sambuca. Um, but we still retain some of those cultural things, we just don't know why. For instance, why do we bob apples? Because in Feralia, they did that as a way of showing uh, strength and power and honor to their ancestors. So they literally would fight for food and have contests for food. That's why apples So those are all kind of interesting little things, but when we start talking about ghosts and spirits and the paranormal, um, and this time of year, some of us do this all the time. I am a person that happens to do this all the time. Um, so what I'd like to start with is, well, that's Laurel Hill, okay? So that's Laurel Hill Cemetery. Um, and it's, uh, it's famous, famously haunted cemeteries. So why would a cemetery be haunted? Right? Why would there be ghosts in the cemetery? No one dies there, right? No one lives there, right? Um, but Laurel Hill here in Philadelphia is famously haunted. 
Laurel Hill was built in 1836, and it was built because up until that time, most cemeteries were either Quaker, specific to a church, you have churchyards, which are, so a churchyard is literally the cemetery that's behind a church, right? And then you have graveyards, which is usually associated with the church. And then you have cemeteries, which are much larger uh, public burial grounds, right? And Laurel Hill was the second garden cemetery in the United States. And it was built with the intent to create a park-like setting so that people could go, visit with their loved ones, spend the day, have a picnic, enjoy their time there, right? And the reason was, is that the gentleman that actually started it lost his daughter when she was 21 years old. And she was buried in a Quaker burial ground. And he went to visit her and could not find her grave because there had been so much destruction to the graveyard and so little respect given to the public graveyard. And so he went, he bought a large tract of land, and he decided to put in um, a cemetery out of, out of respect. So why would, it, why would there be ghosts in a graveyard? Well, in this particular uh, case, in Laurel Hill, there was a murder that took place there, or perhaps it was a suicide. I am gonna say this, though. The body was found without a head. I think you'd have to be really committed, <laughs> you know, and really, really good at suicide to actually take your own head off. You know, it's like for those things, shot twice in the head, we're sure if it's suicide or not. Um, but, but her name is Martha. Um, this was built in 1836. Martha's ghost started appearing about 1906. She actually disappeared in, the, in 1904. She was the daughter of the caretaker. She was, she was it's really funny, and, and, and it's actually not funny at all, but she was 34 years old and known as a spinster. Hmm. Okay, right there. That's, someone deserves to get punched right in the face for calling somebody that, right? At 34. She was seen walking uh, over the bridge that it leads up to Laurel Hill Cemetery, um, and she was never seen again. And then about uh, 18 months later, her body, 18 months later, her body was found in a ravine. Um, she was identified by her clothing, which is kind of funny to me because it's like, what if somebody just changed her clothes? But, but she was identified by her clothing. She was given, um, she was given a proper burial, um, but her gravestone was stolen. Huh. And ever since then, she has been reported to be seen walking up and down, a woman in white, another common story, a woman in white, walking up and down and also screaming. But she doesn't have a head. So we're not really sure where that's coming. We're assuming it's screaming. We're gonna go with screaming. Um, but you can go there and there are reports of, of sightings of her right up until this year. Almost every year it's reported. Um, you guys are here in Philadelphia and they kind of asked me to talk, you know, to kind of target um, uh, Philadelphia. Um, so one of the, the two most reported famous ghosts in the United States are Abraham Lincoln. He's not seen in Philadelphia, guys. I'm sorry. It's literally the only place he's not seen. Uh, it's literally every place else. Um, it's Ben Franklin, right? So Ben Franklin is reported uh, throughout Philadelphia. My personal favorite is that he comes down off of a building. So there's a, there's a building that has him um, in effigy, a uh, statue. He's reported to, the statue's reported to step down, do a little dance. <laughs> Right, and then get right back up. I'm not sure that's a ghost, though, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it's like right around the So when I when I started talk, when I started researching um, ghost stories of Philadelphia, I knew all the big ones, right? But the truth of the matter is, is that most ghost stories are very, very personal in nature. When people have paranormal experiences, it's rarely 
Ben Franklin statue dancing in the street. It almost never, <laughs> right? I'm saying, you know, that only happens 30, 40% of the time. Just kidding. Um, it's usually a personal experience that you have of someone that you love or you know. And invariably, it's positive. Most people report positive experiences. Around Halloween, we like the spookiness, and we like the, we like the kind of um, the dark side of things. And when we start talking about dark ghosts, we almost always talk about loss and trauma. Um, but Philadelphia is rampant with ghosts, right? It's like, you know, can't swing a dead cat. It's, you know, I don't swing a dead cat. You know, just let's leave the cats alone. Um, one of the most famous haunted places in the country is uh, right here in Philadelphia. You guys have any idea what I'm talking about? Is it Washington Square Park? It is not, but thank you for trying. We have to ask you to But that is very good and that's because of the, uh, because of um, yellow fever. Yeah, because of the very around there. There's like an area where they dug very rich people. I don't think it's Washington. Where they, it, it, actually, it's very similar. It's yellow. It, the, the most famous is the Is it our street? It is, you guys are not at all good at this game. No. no but, but they're giving me great things to talk about. Um, it is Lauren. Eastern State. The Lord. <laughs> <laughs> So Eastern State Penitentiary, and most, most famously haunted does not mean most haunted, right? But it does mean it's a hugely famous haunted place. So when it was built in 18, there's some really cool stuff that... Everybody caught up? You're good, you're good, you're good. So actually, let's go with this, right? What the hell? So um, the cool, so I said they're really famous people. Um, Abraham Lincoln haunts literally every place, you know? Um, uh, the other, another play, another ghost that's constantly seen is Ed Rampo. Ed Rampo. What, you know, are you related to him? No, I have a project on that site. Oh, yeah? Scariest place ever, right? Not necessarily because of hauntings, but still very scary. One of my, a phenomenal story, phenomenal museum, the passion of one guy, right, that really kept alive. So you have uh, Ed Rampo. Ed Rampo died. He was 40, but he died, right? He looks like he's 900 here, right? Um, but everyone Poe uh, famously haunts Baltimore. He haunts um, uh, Charleston. He haunts, uh, there's a place in the Bronx. Every place he ever stopped and had like a cup of tea, uh, he, is, he is reported to haunt. But there's some really interesting things that happened here in Philadelphia, right? So. You have Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe met with Charles Dickens when Dickens came to the United States for his second tour of uh, Christmas Carol. That's how he made money. Um, Charles Dickens, everyone's like, he was a lovely guy. He had 10 kids, he left them. Um, he ended up having to pay for them. He had a, a, a mistress. Sorry to you know, spill the tea on this guy, but he wasn't that great of a guy. But he had to, he literally, had to travel the world reading his book. He gave concerts, and he could read, he could do a reading of a Christmas Carol without looking at his manuscript. And if you ever get the opportunity, um, there is, uh, he wrote the manuscript for a Christmas Carol in one, just, just straight out. There's no cross outs, there's nothing. He just sat down, he didn't do multiple drafts. There's one or two little cross outs that he wants, when he went to actually publish it. Um, so yeah, he's not a great husband, really good writer. Um, and then you have this guy over here. Does anyone know who he is? He's an Irishman. His name is Bram Stoker, right? So Bram Stoker wrote 
So you have Edgar Allan Poe meeting um, Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens had just visited Eastern State Penitentiary. Yeah. Now, Eastern State was seen to be the most miraculous movement forward in, in prison reform, right? And so it was designed by an idea of Benjamin Franklin to actually, oh my God, this is all kind of like Oh, everything leads to Ben Franklin. So, so they had built the penitentiary with the idea that nobody wants to be bad, right? So if they have a chance to repent penitentiary, if they have a chance for penance, to be penitent, then you're like, I'm gonna get it. <laughs> um, if they have a chance to be penitent, they'll hear the word of God, they'll be reformed, and they'll leave, and they, and they won't be bad people anymore, right? So what they decided to do was, they decided that they were gonna build this prison, or this penitentiary, and everybody would be in solitary confinement. You wouldn't be able to interact with anyone else. You could only interact with God. Right? Because you, if you heard the word of God, he would speak to you clearly, and so you were separated from mankind. And what Charles uh, Dickens realized, and funny enough, the prison people didn't realize it, was that when you separate man from mankind, he goes crazy. He loses his identity. He loses his ability to function. And it became just a cruel, cruel experiment. It wasn't intended to be, but it, but it became that. He came to the United States, ended up meeting with Poe just before Poe died. Now, we have this guy over here, because Bram Stoker also came to Philadelphia, because apparently Philadelphia is awesome. <laughs> but he wrote Dracula. Now, he wrote a bunch of other stuff, just crap. Right? Just, just <laughs> um, he's from the town in Ireland that my uh, grandfather is from. Um, I just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> he married Oscar Wilde's first girlfriend. I'm gonna tell you, she did not have a lot of love with guys. Okay? Because um, he was kind of in love with his leading man, which is what he based Dracula on. You know what, maybe I should have said that. I'm not sure that that's a, um, yeah, we're, yeah. well, he, he definitely had a, he definitely had a thing for him. Um, but he came to the United States to tour Dracula, never made a penny off of Dracula, but he stayed at a place called Bellevue. You guys know what the building is? Oh, yeah. Well, we all come full circle, though, right? I just have to put that in there because of National Treasure, Benjamin Franklin, you know. Uh, this is the upcoming, you know, Nick Cage. Um, so here you have the Bellevue. The Bellevue is famously haunted. No one really wants to talk about why. So it's haunted. Invariably, when you talk about hotels that are haunted, they're haunted by women that got jilted, right? It's always that. Um, well, that's it. That's the next thing, right? So you have this place being famous. The story that they put out for the activity that people experience is that a woman came in here. She was uh, she had met a gentleman. They were engaged. She had lived with him for a little while. He said, go ahead, honey, to Philadelphia. I'll catch up with you and we'll get married. She was like, awesome. Um, and then he never showed up, right? And so she committed suicide. She's a woman in white walking the, uh, the hallway. Um, but the reality is, and maybe this is not the reality, but this is something that that story tries to cover, is the fact that the first case of Legionnaire's disease that killed 42 people actually took place in this hotel. Wow. And so when you talk about like dark actions and dark activities, sometimes we don't want to know the truth of it, so we cover it with a story that's more, you know, um, romantic. You know, if you go to England, every ghost is Victorian. If you come to the United States, almost every ghost 
is from the Civil War. Right, there's either a woman in white, you know, something like that. Um, I actually came and stayed here because I wanted to see if I got any vibes from it uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. I brought my dogs. They didn't love it. Uh, I'm not going to say it was haunted. Yeah, they didn't love it. Though. I'm just going to go with that. We have the big haunt, right? So Eastern State Penitentiary. I do have to say, I've been, I've been all over the world. I've done tons and tons of investigations. There's very few places that I would... Say across the board, I believe that there's some kind of activity. Doesn't necessarily mean ghosts, but some kind of energy, some kind of activity. Um, Eastern State Penitentiary is one of those places. When you walk in, you feel the weight of that history. Um, and when you're sitting alone in the dark with the lights out and you start hearing sounds, um, you know, not all of those sounds can be explained uh, easily. You know, people like to say rationally. I don't think paranormal is irrational by definition, but the common answers don't always uh, don't always um, uh, work out. Um, the place is incredibly well preserved for what it is. The interesting thing about it is, does anybody here work at Eastern State Penitentiary? Because you just completed. <laughs> Everybody, nobody does. So Eastern State Penitentiary um, generates about six million dollars a year in revenue, and eighty percent of it comes from Halloween or paranormal research. So paranormal researchers are in there almost every single night. Um, but when you go to their website up until about 2019, they never referenced any of the hauntings. And when we look at that from a historical perspective, as if the history of Eastern State ended in 1970 and then started again, you know, five or six years ago, as if the other stuff that goes on isn't part of its history. Um, I highly recommend, especially if you're in the area, don't go, I mean, I'm not going to tell you not to go during Halloween. It's great haunts, they do a great job. But it is a, it is a wonderful, um, it's a wonderful place, and they're doing a, a really great job of preserving it, and they're doing a really great job of presenting things, and they're doing a really good job of changing how they present things. If you were there 15 years ago, um, they would, their haunt was about lunatics and about, you know, like, prisoners. And they don't do that anymore. Because, you know, it's one of those things, when you know better, you do better, right? But I will say this, if you go there and you go when it's quiet and you just kind of want to have an experience, it is one of the few places, I think, on the East Coast where you literally can have a paranormal experience if you really, you know, if you're really open to it. Um, it's not as impressive a slideshow as it should have been. <coughs> uh, so another great Ben Franklin's uh, ghost story is... Um, that he, uh, you know, he's famous for saying, um, a penny saved is a penny earned. It was that, that's actually not what he said. It's close enough. Um, and according to, according to people who have had experiences with him, um, if you throw a penny on his grave, he'll throw it back at you. You know, so I went and threw a couple hundred bucks. It didn't work. <laughs> Did not work. Did not work. Uh, but again, Ben Franklin is one of those people. So I am going to do something here real quick. Um, we did talk about why haunt, why um, cemeteries would be haunted when there's no one that's living there um, and that nobody died there. And I have a theory, and I, you know, everything that I say here, take with a giant spoon of salt, right? Anyone who ever claims that they're an expert in this is lying, right? Because they're either lying to themselves or they're certainly lying to you. Um, but you can be a student of something. And in my experience, one of the things that I, one of the conclusions that I've come to, 
um, and the door is always open, it'll always change as, as more data comes in, is that people have experiences in cemeteries not because there were spirits present in cemeteries. This doesn't make sense to me why a spirit would be, you didn't die there, you didn't live there. I would imagine that if you're gonna haunt a place, it's gonna be a place that has real emotional attachment for you. Um, and I don't think a graveyard would, because you were probably gone three days before you got there. You know what I mean? Um, but I think it's because of the grieving that people do. And when we go to cemeteries, we go to places, we imbue those places with our energy. And I think we're capable of picking that up. You know, I mean, I think, have you ever walked into a room where two people have just had a huge fight? You know, and you're like, oh, <laughs> we feel it. We feel the emotional energy that we put out there. Um, and I don't think it's a huge step to say that those other places that we kind of put our energy into, that other people are able to read those. For those of you guys, has anyone here ever seen any of the paranormal TV shows? Yeah. What, what's, what's your favorite? Oh, my favorite? My favorite one to watch is Ghost Hunters. Okay, I'm going to have to ask you. Yeah, I know. I mean, you I'm not saying it's my favorite that's show. Like, yeah. <laughs> there is entertainment value there. There is, absolutely. I like Ghost Adventures, though. Yes, that is Ghost Adventures. Because it's always a demon. He's always mad at the ghost. Yeah, he's always like, someone could have He's like, brah! He's like, are you the, I love this, are you the portal of hell? First of all, a portal can't talk. Right? <laughs> and it's not going to tell you if it is. Yeah, from the portal of hell, sorry. Um, <laughs> I always like the narrative ones where they're telling the story, you know, where it's like, it's and, and they always, it's funny when they go back and forth between like, the real person, and the, it's like the actor is slightly better looking. You know what I mean? And then the house is like slightly nicer. You know what I mean? Um, but I think that if you watch the shows, they're always talking about two types of hauntings. And there are like dozens of types of hauntings if you get into different cultural and social places where beliefs are. But the two primary types of hauntings are called residual and intelligent. A residual haunting is a place memory. It's literally something that has left a mark on the energy of a place, and you pick it up, right? So it's broadcasting constantly, and you pick it up, you're the receiver. So like, for instance, everybody here has a cell phone, right? And in the cell phone, there's a tiny little crystal, and on that crystal, every single thing you have ever done in your entire life is pretty much recorded there. So we know that things can record. The question is, is do we know what triggers them for us to be receivers, right? And we have personal relationships with people that we know trigger, right? Is anyone here a mom? Do you know when your kids are upset? Yes. Sometimes, right? You know, um, do you, <laughs> I, my kid is always upset, right? <laughs> uh, she's 14, she's always upset. Um, but we know these things. Like, there are definitely things that we can sense or we can feel. Sometimes we trust them, sometimes we don't. The other type of haunting is called an intelligent haunting. That's the haunting that everybody's really interested in. That's an actual person without a body, right? So they're sitting right there next to you going, yeah, no, totally, you know? And that's what we're all interested in. Um, we're all saying, and I, when I say all of us, I, I, I mean, because it's really all about it. Um, we want to know. Does our personality survive bodily death? We want to know, do our loved ones go on? We want to know, we want to believe that what we say and do matters, and that it can linger. And that's another reason why we have these ghost stories, right? 
Because when we start to talk about the history that surrounds ghost stories, and we talked about this earlier, it's a way of, of talking about history. It's a way of interpreting history. It's a way of talking about circumstances that maybe we're not comfortable bringing up, you know, just on their own, right? Like, if you go to the South, a lot of ghost stories have to do with slavery. If you go to, um, if you go to Romania, or you go, oh, I'm, I'm about to, you know, show off here. Uh, if you go to Transylvania like this, um, lots of the stories have to do with communism. Ghost stories about communism. You know, you never think of a ghost walking down to Belmont. It's like they, they never, you know, they're never from the 80s. They're never, they're always from these times that we're like vaguely ashamed of that we want to interpret. But the way we interpret them is through the ghost stories that start them, right? You go to London, believe it or not, there's not a whole lot of World War II ghost stories. It's all Victorian, right? But when we talk to people and we talk about their personal experiences, it's, it's always much more intimate. It's always much more, um, I knew it was her because I sensed it. We have so much more faith in our senses when it's something that's personal to us than when it's just something that, that's vaguely out there. Um, has anyone here ever gotten a paranormal investigation? Can we shut off the lights in here? Uh, sure. Let's do it, right? Is it an app? Yeah. Come on, is it an app? That's awesome. I think it should be an app that's like, voila, you know? Alexa. <laughs> Ziggy, lights. <laughs> no one told me she was going to ask to turn off the lights. I, I didn't mean to make a big deal, but I'm going to make it all go All right, so I have a place in Asbury Park called the Paranormal Museum, and we have more than 300 purportedly haunted objects, um, and this is one of them. This is Claudia, and Claudia came to us because she throws her shoes uh, across the room, and she scared the living daylights out of a little girl in Alabama, um, whose mother thought the little girl was lying until she took the doll away from her and then got the crap scared out of her, too. And then um, my favorite days are the days when packages just show up. Um, and the packages show up with little notes saying things like, please just take that away from me. So um, we're just going to say, uh, Claudia, if you're, if you're here with us, can you give us a sign? And now you're all ghost hunters. That's it. That happens at every single ghost hunt. Um, so it's that we can turn the lights back on. I was just, I was just. You know. um, so it's not just the ghost stories, right? I, I actually, if do, do I have time to tell you a ghost story? Do you want to hear a ghost story? Oh, yeah, sure. All right. So my favorite ghost story is not from Philadelphia. I'm very sorry, but it's from a place called Chichen Itza. In, uh, in, in Mexico. And this was about eight years ago, and I had gone to uh, Chichen Itza. I had driven from, um, from one of those all-inclusives and being really arrogant. I was like, what's the big deal about driving through Mexico? Um, it should be fine. Should be, that shouldn't be questionable at all. 
it was the dumbest thing I ever did in my life. There were three, there are two roads, there's like three and three A, and three is like zippity splits, right? And three A, it goes through every single town, you know, from there to Chichen Itza, and it was not a good time to be driving through Mexico, but I did, right? So I get down to Chichen Itza, and it's one of those World Heritage sites, and it is mind-blowing. Right, you go there and, and there's this city and it, it, it was a vibrant city and then it just kind of, it didn't disappear, but the populace did, right? And so I had this wonderful graduate student who was, um, who had, who, who was uh, a private tour guide for me that. Now I'm a, I'm a tour guide, so I always have tour guides because I think it's like a phenomenal way of kind of interacting with different spaces. And you just, you know, you, you get to you get to learn things that you, you're not gonna learn out of a guidebook. I'm not saying anything that's guidebooks, but you know what I'm saying. So we had done the whole tour, the whole tour had taken about three hours, and he'd shown us everything that this is where the marketplace was, this is where the temple was, this was where that amazing thing happens at the summer solstice, and this was the ball court, and this is where they kick stones around. It was amazing, right? And I was standing there. And as I always get to the end of my, um, my time, um, thank you very much. And then I said, um, you know, uh, and then he goes, and he goes, and he was, his English was way better than my Spanish, but it still wasn't that great. And he was like, I'm sorry, what? And I was like, are there, uh, you know, any, any, uh, any ghosts? Any ghosts, uh, is this place haunted? And he looks at me and he goes, come with me. And we walk all the way back through the city to what would essentially be like Chichen Itza Heights, right? So when they first built it, they built a smaller scale city. And then as the city grew, they built essentially larger replicas of these smaller buildings, right? And the smaller buildings became where the very affluent people lived. And so the only thing that they they, did, they built another temple, they built um, pretty much a marketplace, they built uh, housing structures, all of that. The only thing that they didn't build another one of was an observatory. And because the observatory was in exactly the right place for them to observe the planets and the stars. And so he brought me over and he said, five years ago, an American university created a, a relationship with Chichen Itza that they were bringing down archaeology students to help rebuild the structures in the smaller part of the city. And this particular group had been, been brought in to rebuild a structure, a wall, that had been in the observatory. And so they got in and they had put this wall back together and they would work from about 4 o'clock in the morning till about 10 o'clock in the morning so they wouldn't be working in the terrible heat. And so, you know, there's a young kid, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. So they would build it, they'd leave, you know, again, maybe the tequila came to play, I'm not really sure, but they'd go, and every time they would come back in the morning, they would find that their work had been knocked down again. So the professor went to one of the local, uh, one of the other local professors and said, you know, could we piss somebody off? Like, are we, are, 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 are the people more upset that we're here doing this? And the gentleman said, no, no, I don't think that's it. And he said, all right, well, maybe we're not using the right materials. So the tried again, came back, stuff's on the ground again. So he says, are you sure we're not, like, there doesn't seem to be vandals, it's not an animal, but every time we build this thing, it gets knocked down. So the local professor said, no, it's not the people. 
He said, you're not going to believe, I, I think you pissed off the site. And he's like, what? Like, I think you pissed off the site. So he goes, all right, what do I need to do to not piss off the site? And he said, I think you need to get like a local shaman, a local priest to come and look at this. So the professor was completely open to it. So he's like, yeah, if that's what we have to do, let's do that. So he brought him down. The guy stayed for about uh, 24 hours, right? They came back the next day, and he's like, oh, you know, he's done a big job. And he was very, very exhausted. And he came out and said, yeah, they were pissed off. They were very upset. And he said, fuck, why were they upset? And he said, because there was never a wall there. And you were blocking them from getting to do what they needed to do. That the wall had been put there later. And they knocked it down. And so I actually get chills when I think about it because it's the coolest thing to me that these spirits are so engaged in what they're doing in learning about the universe and in learning and, and, and doing their job that they would knock down a wall that would, 1,500 years after they died, they would knock down a wall to be able to interact with the world and learn about the world and that their drive for knowledge was so great. What was interesting was this young man said to me that when they had another archeological group come in and they had used some kind of a, like a ground penetrating laser type thing that would mark where buildings had formerly been, that they were able to actually show that the wall had not been there, but that it actually had been lower. That there had been a structure that was lower that was not visible any longer, but that the structure that, that the American University was rebuilding had only been about 120 years old. And that, um, and that in, I'm not saying that the ghost was true. I like to believe that the ghost is true. I like the idea that the ghost was true. But that's my favorite ghost story, because it's about constantly seeking knowledge and, and constantly reaching out to know more. And the idea that there are spirits that still are so intrigued by our world that they're doing that, and that they're able to interact with us if they choose. I don't know, I find that kind of cool. Do you guys have any questions? I know I've gone over, but if anybody has any questions, I've solved all your problems. <laughs> Satisfied all of the uh, and now you're officially ghost hunters. So they talk about haunting, but I guess if you um, consider that somebody lived in a house and that's where they died, they're not really haunting anybody. They just, they just hang out. Right? Yeah, they're just like, well, that's true. Like I will say this: in my experience, places are not haunted. People are right. Yes. So it's it's highly unlikely. That, that, now, I will also say this. If there is a spirit that's lingering around or energy that's lingering around, people always say, well, it attached to me and go home with me. And the answer is, you're not that interesting. No. Oh, my God, it's not about you. Um, I always get that from, like, people that go to Gettysburg. So you imagine you go to Gettysburg 157 years ago, um, you know, brother against brother, and, you know, being blown to bits, you know, and they're stuck there for 150-some-odd years, and then they're like... Oh man, that happened, Kelly. She, <laughs> she rolled up. I gotta tell you, I'm gonna leave this battlefield. I'm going home. I'm going back to New Jersey with her. It's just, you know, the truth of the matter is, is they're in their own. You know, it's it's like it's like. Did you ever have a friend that had a breakup and they couldn't get over it? Until they're ready to get over it, they're not gonna move on. They're not generally even aware of you, right? 
And if they are, it's very, you know, and, and again, like I said, huge spoonful of salt. But in my experience, it just doesn't happen. I will say this though, Ouija boards, right? I would have lunch, change of baby, sleep on them. But if you are afraid of something, you should stay away from it. And I don't mean like in love, you know what I mean? I don't mean like you're afraid to go for another job. Go for that other job. What I mean is if you think that dog's gonna bite you, leave the dog alone. You know what I mean? And, like, and if, if you're afraid of a Ouija board, not because I think the Ouija board's gonna attack you, but because I do think that if you have a negative feeling about something, you're just gonna pile more negativity on it. Um, but as far as hauntings, you know, I kind of think it's cool to think that there, that we can walk through space. I, I love the idea that what we do matters and that leave behind something. And I think when we start talking about ghost stories and spirits and things like that, that that's us wanting that to be the case. And I think the more we want that to be the case, the more it really is the case. I do tours at Asbury Park all the time. And, and up until about 10 years ago, Asbury Park was a really difficult, challenging place to be, especially if you were born and raised there. And I used to have local kids that would come on these tours and I would say, this happened right here. And they'd say, what, that happened here? Yeah, something important happened here. What you do is important. And if, if, if you think it's gonna leave a mark, you might be really careful about what you leave behind. You know what I mean? You might, you might, you might be aware that, that if I leave my energy here, somebody else might pick it up. So hopefully you'll decide to leave good energy behind. So I hope you guys had a good time. I really enjoyed it. And she's going back in the box. No, she doesn't. No, she does not. Absolutely. You can One take more time for Kathy. If anyone is sticking around, downstairs in the lower level, we are going to do an eyeball dissection. See how your eyes work and how they can deceive you. And then back right here at 8-ish, we're going to look at uh, the history of horror movies and what they mean for our fears decade by decade by decade. Oh, no. But that was a great <laughs> note to end. <laughs> no, I was like, I love the best. I thought you can order I love the created physically, it doesn't mean that it isn't also created 
spiritual. Like, for instance, there's, there's a theory in paranormal research. Um, people use EMF, electromagnetic fields, in, in a lot of different things. And, and when you watch the contemporary TV shows, they use it as an indication that spirit is present. That's not really how the theory about EMF came back. The, 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 the implication, so if you have, I happen to have a sensitivity to EMF. So when I am in an area where wires are exposed, I literally can hear the buzz, I can feel it on my brain, right? That's like having an it's like having a peanut allergy. It's not, it's not spiritual, it's nothing like that. But there have been studies done where, that showed that when people were around large amounts of EMF, that they started to exhibit signs of paranormal. So they started to say, well, when you're around a lot of EMF, it makes you think you're having a paranormal experience, right? Now, Duke University did a, used to work with the Ryan Institute. The Ryan Institute has since become its own organization, but it was originally part of Duke University. And they started looking at EMF, and they created something called the Godfather. And what they determined was, their theory was that large amounts of EMF do not create the paranormal experiences, they allow the paranormal experiences. So is that semantics? Or is that, you know, are we, or, or is it just a flip side of looking at it? And, and at what, at where do you, where do you find the answer? You know, with paranormal studies, there's not a whole lot of money in it. You're not, you're not going to get huge grants to do that. And so you have a lot of people running around, you know, with black t-shirts in the woods, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong, like, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong. To me, it's the same thing as being a sports audience. Um, but anytime someone makes an assertion, you know, and, and, and says, this is a fact, or this is, or, or this, and, and they don't have empirical evidence that it is, they're just merely saying that it is because they believe it can't be otherwise. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So when I look at what you're saying about the manipulation of brain tissue, to me it's like it's like one does not necessarily negate the other. Right. The, the question that they're, the professor is proposing to us is, is religion something that comes from out there? Oh, or is it it's yeah, it's Or do we need it? Have you studied noetics at all? No. So if I were you, Okay, I would read up a little bit on noetics because it's 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 actually a little bit outside of what you're talking about, but it ties into it because it's the impact of thought on matter. So, for instance, say you're ill and you're in San Francisco, and me and my friends are sending positive thoughts to you. We're gonna let's say prayers. We'll use prayers. You can use mantra. You can use anything. Um, you're not aware of it, right? You're not aware that we're doing it. But somehow your blood pressure drops appropriately, you your infection goes so away. Energy is What's happening? Yeah. Now in noetics, they're actually doing these how do you spell It's N-O-E-T-I-C-S. And I think it would work really nicely with what you're talking about. I because it's next to Let me tell you something, it's fascinating. <laughs> it's fascinating. And there's also the study, the water study in Japan, I can't remember his name off the top of my head where uh, the professor, the um, scientist, had 12 jars of water, and on six of them he wrote positive words, and on six of them he wrote negative words. And over the course of a 30-day uh, study, um, as people would walk by, they would react internally to what was written. So it might be cookies or mom or you know, whatever. The positive words, the water remained perfectly crystal clear. And under a microscope, it was, was beautiful, had full beautiful crystals. In the others, under a microscope, 
it had started to decay. So the idea being that our thoughts impact the living matter of what it's but no one uh, I think you find that very interesting. I do too. And people who are so negative. But think about this. Like we're made up of like I don't we're made up of water. Can you imagine if like when you think badly of someone, yeah. you know, how, how, it's just, it's, it's about, to me, it's about the, it's about the power and the willfulness of consciousness. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm so glad. Please, right check it out. Oh, check, check that out. It's noetics. Thank I think you. you'd really find it interesting. <laughs> Thank you.